Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The report cards came out, and they look like a Charlie Kohler report card here. <laughs> it was very important to me, and one of the, one of the real um, aspects of this trade that was critical for me to do the trade was that this trade remained secret. If I told you in February, you're getting Kyle Hamilton at 14, what would you have said? I'd have said no way. When the draft starts, the game really does begin. But in the end, you've always got to pay the piper. Welcome into the lounge presented by DraftKings. Today is a special day, Garrett, because we get to pick Eric DaCosta's brain about what he was thinking heading into the draft and during the draft. And specifically, whether I was closer to being right with my first round pick or whether you were. And we all know what it's going to be, but I'm just saying we get it confirmed today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, it, this is a pretty rare and cool opportunity to have the chance to sit down with a man who just made 11 picks for the Ravens. Okay, this was a pretty historic draft for the Ravens to make 11 picks, six in the fourth round, and everybody's saying that this was a great draft. Right. Unanimously. It's not often that it's unanimous. And and we made the you know the comment when we did the reaction podcast Saturday night after the seven rounds concluded. And we said, you know, it was just kind of rinse, repeat all weekend. The Ravens would make a pick and the instant reaction would be, I can't believe the Ravens got this guy who was there at that point. And that was just the trend throughout the weekend. And there was a clear, you know, priority to get the best available players. Right. And the Ravens did that all weekend long. And that is a credit to the philosophy and the strategy that they had going into the draft. And DaCosta is obviously the one behind all that. Totally. So with no further ado, let's jump right into that interview. We are thrilled to have General Manager Eric DaCosta here with us to review the draft, give us some insight into what was going on inside the war room. Uh, and I want to start here, Eric. So the report cards came out the next day after the draft, and these things for us, they look like a Char Charlie Kohler report card here. <laughs> all right. It yeah. was straight A's across the board. Do you wake up the morning after the draft and kind of check out the report card, see if you're going to put it on the fridge? I would say that I get notified by various people. You know, <laughs> okay. my, my, my children, my wife, family, friends uh, will notify me. It feels good. You know, I hadn't really gotten straight A's since probably high school. I certainly didn't get straight A's at Colby College in Maine. Um, so, you know, it's, it's cool. But in the end, it's really the feeling that you get when you select the player, when you talk to him on the phone. When you get a guy that you feel really strongly about where there's ownership, the coaches like him, the scouts like him, um, the head coach likes him, that's when you know you got a good player that's going to come in and really help the team, not what the media says or what the report cards say. Right. So as, as this draft is going on, we spent so much time talking about, obviously, who it's going to be. When you go into a draft, are you hoping that a player falls like, you know, 
we talked about Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner and the potential of maybe those guys could fall and you trade up. Like, how, how are you approaching it? And are you rooting for one of those guys to kind of fall down the board? I mean, you do you do do that before the draft. You kind of think about the various scenarios and who could fall and who may not fall and who won't be there. But when the draft starts, the game really does begin. And for me, it's really strategic. You know, it's like playing a game of chess or risk or stratego which are games that i liked as a kid you know and you're just like trying to figure out if this happens and this happens and this, if this happens this is what we're going to do mm-hmm. if the phone rings we may do this based on these players and so as you get into the heat of the moment you don't really have time to think about the emotional aspect of like which players might be there you're just focused on like listen no matter what happens we have to make the best pick or react accordingly and so I try not to get caught up in that. Now, there's always going to be an emotion when you're sitting on a guy and he gets picked, which we can talk about later. But in the end, you've got to make a pick at some point, and you have to have the pick in mind, and you have to be strategic and smart and make the best pick you can. So, like, you know, as the draft is going on, all of a sudden Stingley comes off the board at three. That you was know, kind of like an inflection point. Like, you didn't, nobody knew – well, yeah. we didn't – know what the Texans were going to do. You know what I mean? And Stingley seemed like a little bit of a su- surprise there to a degree. Yeah, and, like, I, I, like you're kind of like – Oh no! Like, are, are, do you guys do that in the draft room? Is is that kind of how it goes? Like, and did not you... at that point. Okay, not at that Super point. Like... It would be closer to your pick, maybe where there's a little bit of um, anger or frustration or disappointment. Maybe like, if you're sleeping on one guy that you think is going to be there, and you're getting very close to the pick, and he gets picked right before you pick. Mm-hmm. That's a tough feeling. But you know, five picks before, ten picks before. Um, it's really just business as usual. Carry on. Like we're just trying to organize our thoughts. I'm trying to be as clinical as possible. I mean, I, honestly, like, no one's talking to me hmm. leading up to hmm. our pick. Everyone leaves me alone. It's like the like pitcher with a no-hitter? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a good analogy. I mean, there's literally no, there's no one talking to me. Everyone's just quiet. Um, it's silence. Hmm. And, you know, the first person that may say something would be Steve saying, who are we picking? <laughs> and honestly, up until the point that we make the pick, no one in the draft room knows who we're picking except for me. Mm. Oh, wow. So did you, uh, like, how confident were you that uh, you knew who we were going to end up taking? Did you did you feel like when the first round started, okay, we got a decent shot at Kyle Hamilton? No, I wouldn't say that, Ryan. You know, I wouldn't say that. I, I would have guessed somebody else. I would have thought maybe one or two other players might be there or we would have traded out. And for mm. me, actually, the scenario that I thought would probably be most accurate might be that a team picking in the 20s would have traded up to 14 to mm. take a receiver. Mm. And I thought, looking out at it, that maybe Chris Olave might have been there at 14. And had that happened, I feel like our phone would have rung. Right. Interesting. So the, the interesting thing, so after the cornerbacks both go, then Thibodeau, Thibodeau went, right? Then it was a run on offensive tackles and wide receivers, kind of like you're mentioning, right? And the, the run on receivers was really what was going to push somebody down to us. Were you rooting for a run on wide receivers? And, and was there at any point, because you knew that you were going to trade Marquise Brown, that you thought maybe you could even get in on that run on wide receivers? Yeah, so that was part of my strategy, was to keep the trade as quiet as possible, which is very hard to do in this business. I right. mean, you guys were probably surprised, too, that this thing didn't leak out. Mm-hmm. And that's a credit to... The Cardinals, that's a credit to Hollywood and his agent and to uh, me, I guess. But it was very important to me. And one of the one of the real um, aspects of this trade that was critical for me to do the trade was that this trade remained secret because there were two factors. One, 
perhaps there was a receiver there that we might have picked too. I didn't want a team that needed a receiver to jump us mm-hmm. to take the receiver. I wanted them to come to our spot. I didn't want to mm. reduce our potential for making a trade. Um, and I also want to keep alive the potential that we might have drafted a wide out if there was a wide out there that we would have taken. It wasn't right. just any wide out. It was a specific wide out that we might have taken at 14. Gotcha. So um, what made this draft special, I think, was that – the receivers, there was a run on receivers, disappointing to us in some ways because it probably reduced our potential of doing a trade and getting mm-hmm. more draft capital. On the other hand, Kyle Hamilton fell, mm-hmm. and he was a player that uh, we coveted. And so for us, even though we didn't have a trade opportunity, even though there wasn't really a receiver there that we would have taken at 14 in hindsight, the fact that Kyle was there made it a home run for us. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of, you know, looking back on it, like as receivers start going, I'm sitting there cheering in my head. I'm like, take all these right, receivers. Right, we didn't know anything about the trade, and then, right? sudden, and then the, the pick's made, and then the Hollywood news is announced, and a fan at the draft, I was in Vegas, and a fan said to me, did they just trade Hollywood? And I said, no, you just got, I, I, I thought he got minked. He thought he got the fake, <laughs> the fake Ian Rappaport account. <laughs> I thought that's what you happened. You got to bring that up? I thought that's With what Eric happened. With Eric in the room? Exactly. <laughs> I thought that's what happened. I was like, nah, that's the fake account. He was like, no, look at it. I'm like, I guess it's real. I guess it's real. Well, you know, if Ryan had reported it, it would have been, it, 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 it been questioned strongly by the, by the community. It just would have been another one of those minkisms. But, um, yeah, so that, you know, uh, I'll also just say this about, I'm sure you guys probably asked me about Hollywood. Hollywood is probably one of the players that I have the most regard for and affection for because he's my first pick that I made as a GM. And he and I have a great relationship. We still have a great relationship. He and I talked multiple times this spring. And, um, you know, I'm under the opinion, and maybe I'm just mellowing uh, as I get older, but if players really don't want to play here, then I don't have a strong feeling for keeping them, Hmm. all things being equal, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Appreciated his thoughts, appreciated you know, where he was at in his career. Um, and I told him I would try to help him, all things being equal, but the organization had to win, meaning we had to make a trade that I felt was a strong trade, beneficial to the Ravens. We've made a lot of trades, as you guys know. Some look great at the time. Some look great after the fact. Some look great at the time and end up being bad trades. But for me, I always want to win the trade, mm-hmm. and I'm always going to try to win the trade no matter what happens in the short term and also the long term. That was very important to me, and I expressed that to Hollywood. He understood. His agent, Trey Dandy, understood. And we felt that, um, you know, all things being equal, I would have preferred to keep Hollywood. But knowing his mindset, knowing what was important to him, his desires, we made a trade that we feel like we could live with at the time that will look good in the future. And um, we look forward to watching him play in Arizona, but we also look forward to watching Tyler Lindebaum uh, play here in Baltimore. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you step back, I mean, you got three years of Marquise playing on his rookie contract, and then you recouped essentially the pick that you used on him. So, I mean, just business-wise, like, that's a good move. Yeah, and also there's the financial aspect of it. We right. save a little bit of money this year, not much, but then next year moving forward, you know, had we picked up his fifth-year option, we're talking about over $13 million. Plus, mm-hmm. now we're talking about a long-term contract, which, right. as you guys have seen, these wide receiver contracts are like, 
off the chart, mm-hmm. and that'd be pretty hard for us to do. Right. I-, I wanted to ask about this later, but while we're on this topic, I think it's kind of interesting. Like this this off season in the NFL is unlike anything we've ever seen. You've just seen so much player movement. You know, marquee players like Tyree Kill and Russell Wilson and Sean Watson like g- getting moved around. Does that how has that factored Marquise Brown? Like how is that factored into as you're building the team, the strategy that goes into it? And do you think that this is like a new normal? Like to me, it's a little bit more NBA esque with player movement. And do you think this is kind of the new normal that we're going to see in the NFL? Well, I, I do agree with you. I think the NBA uh, has affected our league hmm. uh, for sure. Um, I just think what it does is it it really tells me or shows me that the draft is truly paramount. I mean, there's certainly different ways of doing things. I mean, the Rams, Les Snead and those guys, um, Coach McVay and, and Kevin Demoff, I mean, they did an amazing job this year of building that team. And the way that they were able to do it was very unique uh, and different than anyone else. But I still feel that with the uh, pay scale as such that the draft, having a, a litany of picks, drafting as many players as you can every year, is really, really important, at least the way that I think about constructing a team uh, that really fits because contracts going up and up and up. The salary cap will continue to go up and up and up. And if you have really good players, it's just simple economics. You can't keep everybody. And so having young players on rookie pay scale uh, every year is critical, and it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. You can certainly, as I said, do it another way. But for us, when I look at the end result of what we're trying to accomplish – having multiple draft picks every year, having as many draft picks in the first, second, third, fourth rounds every single year is critical to keeping a stable franchise and a strong foundation of players. Yeah. So let's get back into the first round and kind of how it was unfolding. So at pick 13, right, so Jameson Williams goes to the Lions. Pick 13, you've got Kyle Hamilton on the board and Jordan Davis. The Eagles decide to trade up in front of us. Presumably thinking we're going to take Jordan Davis, which was a very popular mock draft pick to us. What's going through your head when you see the Eagles trade up? I was thinking, thank God Kyle Hamilton is still on the board because mm-hmm. he was the highest rated player, quite honestly, and it, and it wasn't super close between mm-hmm. those two. Now, people have asked me, would you have taken Jordan Davis? Yeah, we would have. Jordan Davis was an excellent football player. He's an excellent football player. Right. Fits us very, very well, but... As we mocked out and looked at all the different scenarios, and no scenario did we see Kyle there for us. And so, yes, I think it was an easy pick for most mock drafts to make because Jordan Davis would have been the highest-rated player in most mock drafts at that time. But that would assume that Kyle Hamilton wasn't on the board. So for us, um, as I've said, it was a gift that Kyle was there because had Kyle been gone and had Jordan been gone, we would have been in a conundrum. Right. Then you would have been looking for the trade back. Scenarios. Yeah, and the phone if, really if, wasn't ringing at that time. Right. right. Interesting. If I told you in February, you're getting Kyle Hamilton at 14, what would you have said? I'd have said no way. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't look like it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's almost like a blessing. Like, you root for some guys, or when you see them run a 40 time that's a little bit slower than expected, you're like, all right. You know what I well, mean? That's how we. that's how we got uh, Terrell. So right, exactly. You know, so, um there is sometimes, it's like with uh, David Ajabo, who we'll talk about. Had David not gotten hurt, which was a terrible thing for right. him, there's no chance he'd be a Baltimore Raven right now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Could he have been, this is a question for later also, but could he have been the pick at 14 had he, he not gotten hurt? He could have been. He probably would have been. 
he would have been, been in there. that scenario. He he probably would have been. Interesting. Um, but I'm not really sure, and I would say it would have been doubtful looking at this thing now in hindsight that he would have been there at 14 for us. Interesting. Wow. So you're, I mean, it's crazy. So you're, you know, again, going back to, the, you know, this hypothetical in February, you get two guys in this draft who you thought at that time probably wouldn't even have been there at 14, and you end up with both of them. That's pretty remarkable. And we, in December, we talked about taking Linderbaum at, at, at wherever we picked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one way of looking at it, one way, if we want to really feel good about the draft, we got three guys that we would have probably considered in the first round. Right. Um, well, and Travis uh, Jones was even getting some late first round buzz in, in some people's, like Tom Palacero yeah, yeah. put it out that maybe he could sneak in there because there was some uncertainty as to who could go at the end. And it wasn't a strong year for defensive linemen. Right. Uh, we agonized about that. And that was one of the reasons why Jordan Davis was a good pick for us because there weren't many defensive linemen. And mm-hmm. to get a defensive lineman with that talent, for us, it was really only three or four guys. And for us to get Kyle which we were ecstatic about, and then miss out on Jordan, but then turn around mm-hmm. uh, and do that, uh, get Jones, then for us, it was a no-brainer. Right. I want to talk about, so you now signed Marcus Williams this offseason and drafted Kyle Hamilton. So, you've, you know, we've always invested a lot in the secondary, but now two top-flight safeties, maybe the best tandem in the league. Obviously, you were going to take Kyle just because the value was there. It was just a home run pick. But was there also talk about the evolution of the NFL and saying, all right, and looking at our AFC North foes and saying, two safeties, elite safeties like that, is just the way the NFL is trending these days? Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. We, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to really give away a lot of things um, analytically, but I think one of the things that we do is we listen to our analysts upstairs, and I'm proud of those guys, the work that they do. And there's a sense that safeties and tight ends are actually worth a lot more than people would perceive them to be worth. Mm. Um, And a lot of that has to do with the rise of the passing game and what their impact is on the passing game. And so maybe they're not corners, maybe they're not wide receivers, but they impact the game quite a bit. And Mm. so for us, and there's a theme in this draft, I think, too, that you guys could see and a theme for this offseason – you know, we play some teams that have excellent passing games. We play some teams that have great young offensive talent. And the idea that we've got really, really strong corners and potentially elite tight at some point, maybe safeties, that's a comforting factor for us. And and we feel like that gives us a really strong chance to be a good defense and to build a really good team. So with Linderbaum, you know, during the pre-draft press conference you, you you talked about how you like big centers and you you kind of threw us off the scent a little bit and the red herring yeah and, and we well, but that's it, true but it, that's like the debate right always and, and it's kind of like you know the year before you, you you said you know we love our receiving core then you took bateman and, yeah. we, and then and then we was a talk about big centers and, and i'll be honest i i felt like maybe they're not going to take Linderbaum just because of that factor you know just the sure. size thing um but what, what about him made you feel like, okay, well, he's so – I mean, it, maybe he's a little bit undersized of what you preferably want, but he's such a good player that it's worth it. Yeah, so what I would say first to that is, is you know, I try to be as transparent and candid as possible, but I also want to win. And, uh, <laughs> so whatever I say leading up to the draft, I mean, maybe our fans don't really want to hear this, but 
there's always going to be an element of truth, but there's always going to be a mirage. There's always going to be a smoke screen. There's always going to be something that I say that might be interpreted differently. I love that. I actually laugh about that, <laughs> that people might actually think that we're going to do this or we're going to do this or I don't like this player. I do like this player. And it's just, listen, we're trying to compete with 31 other teams. And I also think this job, you got to make it fun. So... Um, <laughs> The game within the game. When I say we like big centers, yeah, we do. But we also like ass kicker centers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and we like mean centers. And we like smart centers. And we like athletic centers. So um, we love good football players. And Tyler, for me, is one of the best football players in this draft in any position across the board. And so, yeah, maybe we weren't going to take him at 14. Maybe we would take him at 14. But the game within the game is actually getting him at a point where you think you can get him mm -hmm. and getting an excellent football player who's going to help you win for years and years and years and years to come. And if people want to think, oh, you know, they're not going to take a center because he's too small because DaCosta said they like big centers. Yeah, we do like big centers. We love big, tough, athletic centers and smart centers. If those guys exist, they go top five. Mm -hmm. So to get a guy like Tyler who has everything you want except maybe he's not 315 pounds, good for us. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Mm -hmm. Right. I think you've mastered that game within the game because, I mean, I remember even at the Combine, you brought up Linderbaum and, and the conversations that you had with him there and, you know, the Iowa connection. And it was like, I remember at my in my head, I'm like, all right, they're not taking Linderbaum. He brought him up. Then I'm like, but wait, does he, you know, it's like, wait, wait a <laughs> Get second inside here. Your head. I'm like, wait, did he bring him up to think that now what, that we think they're not going to take him, but actually they really like him? It's like there's this game that everyone's trying to figure out. And I think, as you said, you have a lot of fun playing that game. One of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite, this is just a pop culture thing. One of my favorite movies is The Usual Suspects. Okay. Mm. And I love Verbal, the character of Verbal, because he's just sitting there and he's being 
questioned, right? He's mm-hmm. being questioned by the police. And he's looking at the board, and he's looking in the office, and he's looking at the coffee mug, and he's looking at everything. And he's just fabricating a story that works for him at the time. <laughs> and there's a certain genius there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So so you sign Morgan Moses. You draft Tyler Lindebaum. You draft Daniel Falele. Uh, can you talk about the conversations that you had pre-draft about building a wall around Lamar and the importance of doing that? Well, I mean, some of that actually is just stems from conversations that we've had with Lamar. And, Mm. you know, I've had Lamar, I've had conversations with Lamar many times, and I've said, Lamar, what can we do to help you? What is most important to you? And honestly, the thing that he always comes back to is the offensive line. And that's one thing that John feels really strongly about and Greg feels really strongly about. And, you know, I believe as well that you went up front and um, you think of our best teams, some of our best teams we've ever had. We've had a strong imposing, dominating, athletic, smart offensive line. So hmm. that was a point of emphasis. I wasn't happy with last year, how last year went down. Uh, I've taken the blame um, for the lack of depth at the tackle spot specifically last year. And uh, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to be held hostage by injuries. And so that was a game plan for us. How do we best build the offensive line? What kind of traits are we looking for? What kind of players are we looking for? And uh, and that was a point of emphasis. Mm-hmm. Was Falele the largest human being you've ever scouted? Yeah. So <laughs> years ago, I scouted the Midwest, and it was a guy named Aaron Gibson who was a tackle that played at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He was a big dude um, as well. But I think you know Daniel's probably right up there as one of the biggest guys ever for sure. Mm. And obviously, I think when you make that pick, and he actually talked about it after the pick, is the Orlando Brown comparison. You just you see the size, and obviously, your, our minds kind of go right there. Was was Orlando and that his success here at all kind of part of the thought process and thinking that Folayla could be a good fit in this offense? Oh, I don't know. I you know I never like to compare players that much, especially players like Orlando. You know, Pro Bowl tackles. Yeah. Uh, Orlando did everything the right way, and he was tough and mean, and he had a high care factor. He's, and he's a great player and a great friend, and I wish him the very best. And I, I pull for Orlando every single chance I get. Um, but Daniel's his own person. He's his own talent. He's got his own set of skills. He's been a right tackle. Orlando was a left tackle. He mm-hmm. played the right side. Mm-hmm. Daniel's only been playing football, I think, since like 2017. There's a, there's a steep learning curve, but he's also got – Traits that would put him in the top 5% of offensive tackles. Mm. Size, the length, the physicality, the strength. So, um, listen, we just we thought in the fourth round there was way too much talent and value for us to ignore. Uh, you know, it's classic, you know, Warren Buffett, you know, um, value investing. And when the price of a company drops down below what you think that value is, then you pounce. And uh, with Daniel, that was the case. But looking at him, when we see the size and we see the upside and we see the traits and we see the tape and what he can be, and for us in the fourth round, we're like, we got to take this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Ajabo, you know, a lot of times the the early uh, edge rushers that we've taken have been these kind of big-bodied run stuffers. It's Terrell Suggs, you know. Now, always a little bit different, certainly different build than Terrell Suggs, but run stuffer, right? Uh, and you knew, obviously, he had a lot of pass rush potential. With Ajabo, it seems like, I mean, this – in terms of pass rushing talent, this dude is special. And, and unlike some of our previous picks, do you see him as, as a very special, just a guy that can get after quarterbacks? 
<laughs> yeah, he's got all the traits, Ryan. I mean, so we watch a lot of Big Ten football, obviously, with the, the Maryland team here. We get a chance mm -hmm. to see these guys live quite a bit as well. I scouted the Midwest for many years, and so I'm partial to the Midwest. Uh, with John's connection to Michigan and Mike McDonald, we watched a lot of Michigan tape. This was a guy that just burst onto the scene this year, and in some ways reminiscent of another guy years and years and years ago, Ziggy Ansa, mm. who came in and was a basically a one-year player and just kind of burst onto the college scene and was a top-ten pick, I think. Um, all the traits. This guy's got all the traits. Uh, he had a, a great year. He played huge in big games. Very, very explosive. Runs to the football, you know. And then I think if if you were saying to me, Eric, what's one thing that you look for with defensive players above anything else? It's it's running to the football hmm. and making plays. Maybe someone else should have made that you make. And, uh, and, and David did that. And David just really impressed us with his demeanor. And again, you talk about a high ceiling. Uh, there is no there is no ceiling with this guy. Mm. You know, this guy can go as high as he wants to go. It's right there for him. He's got all the traits you look for. He's the right type of kid. Um, he had a great season this year against top competition, and we think this guy's just going to explode once he gets healthy. Mm. A player who I've got a uh... – I guess a soft spot for in this draft is, is Jalen Armour Davis. And that's because I took him on my mock. It was my one out of 11. <laughs> that was my one hit out of 11. I got Falele. He got Falele. And I got Jalen Armour Davis. So we each had one uh, in this year's or, or seven round mock. It's not very good. It's not very good. <laughs> well, I had Jordan Davis too. So we found out that could have easily been the pick. You were way <laughs> off. Way off. I took McDuffie. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So Jalen Armour Davis. See, Eric uh, just shook his head. He said no. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> So uh, when you make when you make the pick for him, the Alabama cornerback was Ozzie Newsom, the happiest guy in the room to see you take your first Alabama guy since you become GM. I, you know, Ozzie was happy. I <laughs> we, as I said, like we we have a game plan, and when we went into the fourth round, we had a list. We have a list of players, yeah. and so we needed we needed about I don't know thirty five names or so to get through the round, we thought. And we got the top three names on our list with our first three picks. It's awesome. And so we were excited. Um, Jalen's a guy that, you know, when you watch this tape, you just saw the body control, the quickness, the knee bend, the flexibility, the speed, the quickness, ability to mirror guys. We love corners that can do everything, but – when you get down to the fourth round, you're trying to find corners who can do something really well. And what he can do is cover guys. Um, he's a sticky corner, and he can do – he can play inside, he can play outside, he can play off, he can play press. Um, so, you know, we, we recognize that our depth at corner going into the draft wasn't probably what it's been the last couple of years, mm -hmm. um, at least on paper. So – we, had, we wanted to address that. I felt like there was a strong chance we might take two corners in the fourth round uh, since we hadn't taken a corner prior to. Now there were some corners that we liked. Mm -hmm. Headed into the second round, headed into the third round, those guys got picked before we picked. So um, we went into the, the, the fourth round, and Jalen was one of our top picks because we felt like he's one of the few guys left who could truly cover with sticky coverability. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I gave the phone to Ozzy, and he said, roll tide. <laughs> it was a great moment, and we were relieved and excited to get him. But 
again, there were some other corners that we would have that we were going to take or hopefully to tape at some point. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we were able to get um, Williams. Right, right. Now, Charlie Kohler, I, I think in New England, they would probably say he's wicked smart, right? <laughs> Does that, that ring a bell? Yeah, smart dude. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, I think, um, but you know, what I appreciated with him was the skills that he had, um, his, his uh, ability to stretch the field and make plays yeah. in the passing game. There's a little bit of Dennis Pitta to his game, mm. I would say. Um, but, you know, smart guy that we spent time talking football with, uh, strong student of the game. I think he's got um, a good combination of receiving ability with upside as a blocker, potential as a blocker in his body. He's been a very productive player, which we think is good. He's an excellent red zone target. He's big. He's long. He'll be a great, you know, target for Lamar. Mm-hmm. Outstanding catching radius. And, uh, you know, he played in a good offense. He played for a, a good head coach. He came out of a really good program in Iowa State. I'm a big fan of that program. Mm. Um, and he's no, he's a Norman kid, you know, and I love Oklahoma players. And so <laughs> while we didn't draft an Oklahoma player this year, we did draft a player from Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> and that was prerequisite. No, I didn't know, you know, when I was trying to think through our mock draft, I was thinking, all right, do they want more of a blocking tight end to kind of help with Nick as he still comes back from his knee and, and we lost at Tomlinson in free agency? You know, I was kind of thinking in that mold, less of a receiver mold, but you were thinking obviously different, right? You took two receiving tight ends. Is that based on kind of you were talking about the analytics and, and what makes a good offense? You know, did you feel like going in, hey, I want I want to add some more big-bodied receivers? Yeah, I mean, that goes into it. I mean, you listen to the coaches and Greg and and, uh, and George, our tight ends coach, um, Gotsi, and um, you're just trying to find the best players. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really love the idea of when you're, when you're getting ready for the draft of, like, being very scheme-focused mm-hmm. and just trying to draft players that only fit your scheme or you're looking for this one specific thing because it makes it hard to find the high-ceiling guys. And so mm-hmm. – um, I think this year, you know, for me, the fourth round, it was something that I was focused on for a long time. And uh, we 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 just I thought about what my philosophy would be and what our strategy would be. And I relied on the analytics. Um, you know, uh, Sarah uh, Malay Palay upstairs helped me and Derek Yam and Corey Craywick. Uh, I talked with a great friend of mine, um, Sig Maydahl from the Orioles. Yeah. Trying to just figure out, like, what my approach would be. And so one of the ideas was that, number one, treat each pick like it's an island unto itself. Don't really think about the combination of picks that you make. Just focus on the best player at the time. And also, I think one of the things that started to resonate with me was like take the players that have high upside, like a very high ceiling. So... um if you're going to do that, you're probably going to take players that can really affect the passing game. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to, if you, if, if, some, if I'm talking about a high ceiling player and you have two tight ends, one's a blocker <laughs> right. and one's a field stretching, mm-hmm. pass catching tight end, who are you going to take? Right, right. So that was kind of what our mindset was. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Another theme I think of the draft is I look at it just from like a big picture standpoint. Is it is value and and we talked a little bit about that earlier. Is getting all those guys, you know, you could have taken at 14 and getting Travis Jones in the third. Was was that a cognizant strategy going into this draft differently than than any others, or did it just kind of play out in that regard? Well, I think just for us, you know, for my own personal 
philosophy on drafting players, which goes back to probably even before I was the college scouting director, but especially since I've started really running the draft and, and, and picking the players, is that you assign a value to every player. Every player has a value. It's a grade. Uh, it's a final board grade. So you take all the scouting grades and you listen and you assign a, a scouting grade to that player. That player is on the board at a certain level. And then he gets ranked amongst all the other players on the board, but specifically all the other players that are in that bucket or that level, that grading scale. Um, and then once you have that, the philosophy that I believe in, which again, kind of goes back to um, a lot of reading that I do and thinking that I've done and maybe you know, kind of outside the box, but the financial markets, um, the stock market, investing. Um, and it basically is when the player, when the player's value drops below where you would take them, then you should take them. So when the player is, is, is value is less than what you expected it to be at any given time. And he's still there on the board. You pounce. We love to buy, really good players cheap mm -hmm. and that to me you win in the margins incrementally and that's what kind of what our philosophy is so when you can get a guy like travis jones in the third round at pick what was it 76 75 right um and you think that he is on your board the 37th i'm making that up but mm -hmm. it's an approximation 37th best player there's value there. There's a lot of value there. Um, when you get players like that, then you should pounce. I think so often what teams do, and it may work for them, but it doesn't necessarily work for us. Teams are so hyper-focused on need <clears throat> that they fail to really consider the fact that Travis Jones might be the 36th best player on their board, and they're picking 80 or 85 or 90, and they're taking – the offensive guard, or they're taking the safety, or they're taking the running back because they don't have a player at that position. Mm -hmm. That's not just that's just not how we operate in most cases. Now, if they're close, okay, that's one thing. But when there's a gap, when you see the value of that player drop to such a point that it's a no-brainer, like if you had no needs on your team, mm -hmm. That's how you'd operate. Right. Well, it needs change. It needs the time. to change. And we've seen that, especially with us last year. Right. So, what we try to do, what I stress is when you rank the players, don't imagine need. Let's not think about the Ravens. Let's not think about what people say about our needs. Let's not think about where we think we have holes. Let me focus on that, maybe. Okay. We'll try to fix those holes at some point. But let's not be so focused on those holes or those needs that we are irresponsible in terms of selecting the best possible players to make this team better. Right, right. In, in terms of uh, your draft board and where you had players ranked, was Jones the biggest steal on your board compared to where he went? You got a lot of steals. You were a thief well, in, the, in the middle of the night. They're, they're steals. They might be steals, but they're steals, you know, on paper. Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were some other steals. I don't want to rank the best perceived value okay. necessarily, but I would say to you that of all the picks we made, I would say probably 
eight of the picks were significantly uh, above value for us, mm-hmm. where we felt like, oh my gosh, this is great. Mm. We're getting a player that we love at a really, really good spot. Right. The other picks probably look at it and say, okay, that's basically, you know, to steal a Steve, Steve Bishotti as in chalk, you know, mm. meaning fair value, mm-hmm. fair player. Right. This is a win. Fits a, a need. Yeah, and, fits right. a need, but, right. you know, but not like a huge, oh my gosh. Right. It's like, okay, this makes sense. Mm. You never really want to get into a situation. This happens sometimes, and I could actually give you guys examples of players where this worked out. But you never really want to get into a situation where you're saying, say you're picking 100 and you're taking the 120th best player on your board. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not a great That's not a great fit. It's not a great look. It means something's happened. Mm-hmm. It means you're definitely drafted need probably. Right. And um, what we talk about a lot is like slippage or um, standard deviation. But I call it slippage. Steve calls it standard deviation. But it's basically like other teams are jumping in and they're taking players outside your – sort of range of players. Mm-hmm. So you know that's going to happen. So for instance, if you're picking at um let's let's talk about the fourth round. If you're picking at 110 right. in the fourth round, your pick actually is probably going to come from pick 65 to pick 80 in your sequence of players mm. because of the slippage. Other teams are jumping in they're taking players outside your range, and when that happens, it pushes good players down to you. Right, and we right. know that. We're, and we're and it's pretty remarkable. We have all the data over the years, and we're pretty good at figuring out where that range of players is going to come in. Now, it gets more challenging. Not to talk about too much theory, but it gets more challenging in that situation with your other picks in that range because once you take a player at that position, then the the, the challenge would be: Are you going to double dip? Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and I think in most cases, most teams would find it prohibitive to do that. So, for instance, say you've got—I'll use this example—two tight ends. Right. You've got Kohler and you've got Likely, and they're both players in that range. Um, in a lot of situations, maybe you might take Kohler, mm-hmm. but then say, okay, even if Likely's there, we take we're him. not going to take him. right. But a true best available player team that believes in the process of what they do is going to say, forget about that. If likely is that good, we got to take them because we feel like that pick over time is going to be a very valuable pick for us. Right. Mm. Totally. Well, we have a good track record of taking two tight ends in the same draft, right? So that also <laughs> is nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one one guy I want to talk about, you know, you talk about value, and and when you're talking about drafting a punter in the fourth round, right, is the earliest that a punter has been taken since 2012. Was that was he just so good that you were like, you know what, I know it's fourth rounds generally early for a punter, but he that we could lock up this position for the next 10 to 15 years, and it's worth a fourth round pick. Or what was kind of your thought process there? Yeah, so you know, Jordan's a guy that in my daughter's a freshman at Penn State. I've seen him punt. Live, mm-hmm. we've seen him punt at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine. Uh, Randy Brown, in my opinion, one of the best kicking coaches slash evaluators of kickers and punters. We felt that Jordan was one of the best guys to come out of his position in a very, very long time. So, listen, nobody goes into the fourth round saying we want to draft a punter. You know, that's <laughs> right. not something that you typically will do. However, when you have six fourth-round picks – it becomes, hey, this is a great pick. Mm. This is a very useful pick. This is a pick that 
will probably resonate for years to come with our fan base and with our with our organization because this is going to be a very good punter. Mm-hmm. You always think about it like, man, do I want to do this? We could find a, a position player that plays a lot, a guy that could become a starter on the offensive line as a running back, as a corner, whatever that might be. And so you're always like, kind of like, man, I don't want to take a punter. But when you have the six picks, mm-hmm. it's like this would be a great pick to make. And so for us, the challenge really was, where do we have to take them mm-hmm. to get them? Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. You don't want to take them at 110, Mm -hmm. so what's the strategy? And that became kind of a subplot for me with the fourth round was like, okay, I know other teams want this guy. We knew that. Mm-hmm. Probably four or five other teams wanted this particular punter. Where do those teams pick? How many of those teams have a fourth-round pick? Where are their picks in relation to our picks? Mm. And it was clear to me, and we've done this before. We did this with Sam Cook way back when. Um, it became clear to me that pick 130 was probably, if I'm betting, um, that pick was the pick we had to use to be able to get him. Well, and then a punter went, Jake Camarda went three picks later to the Bucks. So I think you were, uh, you know, that was verified. <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, based on information that we've received after the fact. I mean, listen, the Chargers might have taken a punter. Bengals. The Bengals were taking a punter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bucks were taking a punter. Yep. So... And there were other teams. And so for us, it just felt like that was the pick we had to use. And you do that based on where the other teams are picking. There's a risk involved. I mean, you know, my anxiety was like, do we use pick 130, which we had just picked up? Mm-hmm. And there was a beauty there to that as well, going back from 23 to 25, still getting Tyler, right. and then using that pick to get the punter. Uh, or do you wait till 139? Um I believe, and you know, you never know this, but I believe had we waited to pick 139, 
we would not have gotten Jordan. Right. Now, we would have gotten somebody else. We would have gotten a different player at 130 that we might have lost at 139. Mm-hmm. But with everything being considered, right, you look at it and you make the best decision you can make. Uh, we felt like that was the best, smartest decision at the time for us. Mm. So then y- your last pick uh, is the running back, Tyler Beatty. And, I, I, you know, you make that pick, and I look up the stats, and I see that he's put up 1,600 yards in the SEC, and he gets 17 touchdowns, and I'm like, <clears throat> how is this guy available at this point putting up a big numbers in, in major college football? In, you know, you obviously have some uncertainty at the running back position. We all hope J.K. and Gus are come back ready to go full strength. But, you know, they're coming back from injuries, and we know that that can be difficult to predict. What was it about Beatty that you really liked about him and how he could fit in in that group with some uncertainty in that mix? Yeah, so um, number one, kind of a unique story, cool story. Um, he was a, a Katrina kid who relocated here mm-hmm. and went to friends. Um, just this kid's got special qualities to him first and foremost. And when I think about some of our best late round picks, uh, they've got the makeup, the pedigree, mm. the, the demeanor, the growth mindset, the grit, all those things. Uh, the other thing I would say is George Kokinas is really a great evaluator. And I, at one point in early April, told George, like, listen, go through this board of running backs and find me the best guys that we could take in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. Mm. And he came back, and Beatty was one of his guys. He's like, you know, there's something to this kid. And when I watched him, I saw great balance, contact balance, ability to keep his feet, quickness, short area quickness, burst, acceleration, vision, um, in a competitive running style. And so uh, I think he's a great fit for what we do. The fact that he did it in the SEC, I think, speaks volumes. And when you combine his physical talent, with his personality and his character, it made it an easy pick for us to make. He kind of reminds me of Justin Forsett. It just kind of dawned on me that, like, a smaller guy, contact balance, great character, runs yeah. hard, Might can be, receive. You know, probably, you know, and, and Justin, one of my favorite guys that we've had come through here, Justin Justin had great vision and feel and balance. Yeah. I think the one thing about <laughs> Tyler is probably a little faster a mm. little quicker at the second level. Justin was very quick through the hole. Right. Um, I think uh, I think Beatty probably has another gear that maybe Justin didn't have. And, mm-hmm. um, but I do definitely see the similarities. And I hope, I mean, I would be ecstatic if, uh, if Beatty ends up as good as Justin. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, wide receiver obviously got a lot of talk. Uh, you know, there was discussion about how we wanted – Peter King wrote that we wanted Calvin Austin the third. Yeah. Um, was that was that a tough blow at the time? Uh, you end up like we talked about with Isaiah Likely, who was really high on your board. But how do you handle that when a guy that you wanted is taken right before you are on the clock? Well, it's tough, you know, and that's happened many, many times over the years. Um, sometimes it works out. I mean, I can remember early on um, for me, two thousand two draft. You know, I had been scouting the Midwest, and uh, I loved an outside linebacker at Northwestern named Napoleon Harris. Mm. And Napoleon Harris on our board that year was a top 20 player, I think. And he got picked right before we picked. Might have been 23 Mm -hmm. by the Raiders. And we were forced 
to draft Ed Reed. <laughs> right. So uh, I remember the deflation that day, mm. you know, because as a scout, you always want the organization to draft a player from your area, you know. Right. He got picked, and we had to settle on <laughs> a transcendent player, you right. know, uh, in Ed Reed. That being said, it, it's hard. Um, you know, uh, Kevin Colbert is the GM of the Steelers, and uh, he's retiring this year um, in some capacity. Kevin is a great evaluator, and he's an excellent scout. He's a guy that every other GM in the league would hold in very high regard and high esteem. Um, very strategic, great evaluator, great feel for talent. And uh, he got him. And, yeah, we were, we were looking at him. We liked him as a player at Austin. We had a chance to see him at the Senior Bowl. Um, we thought we would get him. I thought we would get him because the Steelers had already drafted a run up right. receiver. Right. It's like, how many you wide know? receivers do these guys draft? Probably like us with tight ends. I mean, I guarantee, I guarantee you there's a team right now yeah. okay, saying, how many tight ends did the Ravens need? <laughs> right, yeah, right. Two tight ends in the fourth round. We wanted one of those two guys, and they got them both. Right. So that happens. Um, that's the nature of the draft. That's what makes the, the draft challenging and fun. It was frustrating, but uh, I think Isaiah – is going to be an excellent player, and we're excited about him. And we had a chance to see Isaiah at the Senior Bowl, what he can do and his skill set. Mm -hmm. And he's a playmaker, and he's from Massachusetts. Right? <laughs> so it gives me some street, is, street cred when I go back home. Yeah. Is he a Celtics fan? I know. You... Yeah, I think he is. Well, I have okay. to ask him. You got to yeah. confirm that. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about. It. I don't want to, you know, divulge many details. <laughs> Had he not been a Boston sports fan, we probably would have gone in a different direction. <laughs> so, last one for me, Eric. You know, when the draft ends, I think you know part of the question then becomes, what's next? And do you, you know, do you go out and do you sign a, a veteran pass rusher or a receiver or what else do you do? Um, you know, so I guess the question to you is, what is next? What do you see as sort of the next item on the agenda as you fill out this roster? Well, my first item is really to get more sleep and yes. probably eat healthier and take better care of myself, spend more time <laughs> with my family, uh, and kind of get back to normalcy. Uh, we'll look at all that. We'll look at all the different moves we could make, uh, understanding that you know the salary cap is finite. Uh, you know, some people think that it's not an actual cap that you know you can manipulate the numbers and all that. And you can in the short term, but in the end, you've always got to pay the piper. So you can be you know, I hear people say this all the time, and I chuckle, and I think people who really understand the cap will tell you this. You can be cash over cap mm -hmm. for a few years. Yeah, you can be cash over cap for a few years. But eventually, it's going to come home. Mm -hmm. You know, the chickens do come home to roost. And so um, you've got to be responsible. You've got to understand actually how it works, not what a team might do in any given year or what teams do in a two-year window. Look at what those teams do over a five-year window. In every single time, you'll see cash equals cap. Mm -hmm. And so for us, uh, looking out, looking out and seeing what we've done, we've got to understand that we've signed a lot of our own players back, some star players. We've done really good contracts. I think it's a credit to Pat uh, Moriarty and Nick Matteo and everybody else, the agents involved. We've done good deals that we feel really good about. And uh, so that being the case, and I would reference, look at Mark Andrews' deal that mm -hmm. we just did. Look at how Mark played. So uh, we've got to be aware of that. And still, if there's a really good player there, and it's not much different from the draft, 
if the value of the player, what we sort of subscribe as the value of the player, if that value is such that we feel like we can get a really good player at a discount right now, mm-hmm. we'll consider that, knowing that whatever we spend now, we won't have during the regular season. And we've been fortunate at different times to do trades during the regular season. Sometimes they work out really, really well. Sometimes they work out. Sometimes they don't work out as well as you hope. But in order to do a trade during the season, you've got to have a nest egg, Mm -hmm. right? So you've got to be careful, and it's always a fine line. It's a delicate balance, and that's what we're looking at. That's what we're playing with. There are players out there right now that can help our team, but it's going to make sense for us, and it's going to make sense for them. Mm -hmm. And if you get that match, then there's a good chance the deal's going to get done. Right. I'll, my last one is a, a little bit more direct to Garrett's question. What do you assess the need at wide receiver to be right now? Because you've drafted some really good, young, talented players. Duvernay, you know, Prochet, Tylen Wallace, even last year. We've seen flashes from these guys. They got a lot of potential. You know, but also you traded Marquise, who was your top yeah. producer at wide receiver. What yeah. do you see as the need at wide receiver right now? Well, I would say this, which you just said, Ryan. I mean, you guys have seen those guys. What do you think of those guys? Yeah. I, th- I want to. I've always been saying, give Duvernay the rock. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. want to see him. Like yeah. every time he touches it. Yep. I mean, we see those guys every day here in the building, right? We see James. Yeah. You know, a lot of times James is uncoverable. Yeah. Uh, you know, we see Devin. We see the speed and the toughness and the contact balance he runs with in the hands. And we right. saw Tylen this year on special teams, and then when he had a chance to make a play, right. he made a big play. Yep. And Tylen was a guy that before his injury probably would have been. I don't know, a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. So we're excited about those guys. Um, you're always going to have needs. There's not a team in the league, contrary to what maybe our fan base might think, and I say that in the most, with the most respect mm-hmm. for our fan base. Right. But there is not a team in sports, in professional sports, any team that doesn't truly have a weak position, or a need. Right. That's the nature of this business. You could have a star player, he gets hurt, and that becomes a need. Um, in a salary cap sport, it's very, very tough to build a team that doesn't have a need. Mm-hmm. Every year, the team that wins a Super Bowl has a weakness, mm-hmm. has a weak position. And so we're aware of that. That's not an excuse because we want to not have any weaknesses or have any needs. Right. But we're right where we need to be at this time. We will address. We will continue to augment the roster and build it the best we can. But I will caution, we want to be good this year, but we also want to be good five years from now mm-hmm. and ten years from now. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be aware of that as well. And, you know, If there was no cap, if you could spend an unlimited amount of money, it'd be easy to build a team. Right. We've got to always have that as a lens to look through as well to be as smart as we can. And I go back to how we started this conversation. The draft is and will always be paramount to that discussion. Right, right. Okay, wait, one more. Sorry, <laughs> last one, I swear. Uh, so one thing I, I think a number of pundits noticed coming out of this draft is this team now, as it's constructed, looks a lot more like the 2019 team than the 2020 and 2021 teams, right, when we were gangbusters in 2019. Strong offensive line, multiple tight ends, receiving tight ends, all that stuff. Going into the draft, in terms of how you were thinking about allocation of resources with this team, did you have that in mind? I don't know. I think, you know, again, I don't really want to compare and think about it <clears> as <throat> much. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, 
we'd love to have a defense like we had in 2000 or 2006. Right. You know, um, we'd love to have an offense that was as successful as we had in 2019, mm-hmm. you know. But in the end, you just try to build the best team you can. You try to add as many good players as you can. Every team takes on a different identity. And this is this, this, this climate, this landscape changes very quickly in the NFL. A trend one year is passe the next. Right. And so uh, we want to be out ahead of the curve as much as we can. I think we've got a, a, a great coaching staff, a very creative, inventive coaching staff. And we're always trying to find a way, whether this is coaching or scouting, to exploit strategic you know, situations um, where we can be the best. And that changes year to year. I mean, many years ago, you know, the whole comp pick thing, mm-hmm. we felt like we were way out ahead of the curve. Now everybody's doing that to mm-hmm. a degree. Mm-hmm. We see that every single year. Where are the other areas now that we can exploit? What are the strategic holes that we can look at and say, you know what, there's an opportunity here for us to be better. That's what this is really in professional sports. That's why we love it. That's why I love it is because there are the games within the games. It's not just what happens on Sundays. It's what happened in March. It's what happens in August that get you to Sundays. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm confident that we'll have a good approach and we'll be the very best team we can be for our fans and for the community. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so that much for the time, Eric. Uh, gave us a lot of time, a lot of perspective. And I'm fired to see these guys on the field yeah. This, yeah. this weekend at minicamp. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank Appreciate you. It. Thank you. Well, thank you, Eric DaCosta. As a reminder to listeners, the sports landscape is ever-changing, and this week is no different. DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, still has daily fantasy contests running for those looking to have skin in the game. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap, and then sit back and watch your points pile up. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app now and sign up using code FLOCK. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code FLOCK only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. See, there you go. Salary cap is real even on DraftKings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Salary cap is always real. So That's right. Um, really good stuff from Eric. Amazing. Uh, uh, Great insight. Really fantastic insight. I mean, I, I came away from that just having kind of a new appreciation. I love hearing him talk theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that he is so thoughtful in the process that goes into building a team and a roster and everything involved in it. Yep. He's like a very well-read <laughs> person on a variety of – like he, he's bringing perspective to building a football team that any CEO would bring to running a business. Yep. Or It's that, all about value, man. He's a bargain shopper. That's what Eric Toss <laughs> is, and that's how I really resonate, you know, connect with him. Yeah, but the difference, your, your type of bargain shopping is you just, just buy, buy everything crap. low, just buy- <laughs> cheap. There, I guess there's a difference between bargain shopping and cheapness. <laughs> exactly. There's no value. When you're, you, it's all, I guess it's it just, there's value, but there's no upside. All right. <laughs> Mines does not have a high ceiling. <laughs> low low floor, low ceiling. <laughs> what I'm buying. Um, so what was the biggest takeaway that you had after hearing from him? Well, I thought it was very interesting, his perspective on wide receivers, you yeah. know, and, and they could have drafted one in the first round, uh, one specifically. We don't know who that guy was, which one of those wide receivers, but interesting to hear that. Um, and they were kind of hoping that a wide receiver was there at 14, the guy that they didn't want yeah. necessarily, so that they could have traded back with a team looking to come up and get a wide receiver. Um, now, who that trade back would have been, who they would have gotten in that, who knows. 
I think we do know that they would have taken Jordan Davis at number 14, and certainly not your guy, Trent McDuffie. Well, they would have taken Jordan Davis likely over, not, not over Kyle Hamilton. Right, not over Kyle Hamilton. Right. If, yeah. if those two guys, if, if the Eagles had taken somebody else. Exactly. They, they would have taken Kyle Hamilton. They would they'd have taken Kyle Hamilton. Right. But if it was Jordan Davis and nobody else, Kyle Hamilton was gone. It was Jordan Davis yeah. and Rick Duffy. I can yeah, tell you yeah, that I much. He just didn't want to reveal. The yeah. truth is, he just yep. didn't want to reveal yep. the draft yep, board. Yep, 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 you yep, know, yep, like yep. he said, I don't know if you were paying attention. You know, he said there's always this game within the game. That's what he was playing no, there. He didn't want to reveal. <laughs> he didn't want to reveal that I was correct in my in my mock draft. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that was really interesting. You know, just a lot, a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, the fact that they could have taken, he expected Ojabo to probably go pre-injury before 14. Wow. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like things always work out. And, and the fact that a wide receiver wasn't there and they didn't trade back and you end up getting Kyle Hamilton. Wow. We could be looking at that 10 years from down the line and say what, you know, that so fortuitous that all those wide receivers went off the board. They couldn't trade back. Same thing with Linderbaum, right? I mean, there's a lot of things I think look, when looking back on this draft years from now, five years, 10 years, whatever it is, we're going to say, wow, that played out perfectly. Even the Jordan Stout missing out on the wide receiver, you know, the Calvin Austin, the third, and, and because you took, you took Jordan Stout. If we're, if we're looking back 10 years from now and Jordan Stout's still punting for the Ravens, you know, I mean, you go back through the biggest draft steals in Ravens history, Sam Cook in the sixth round, I believe it was. Right. Has he's, to rank up. He's one of them. He, he's one of them. He's got to rank in that top whatever 10, 20. You know what I mean? So, like, maybe Jordan Stout is that. Yeah. There was two other things that, that really stuck out to me. One is just kind of the player mobility that we've seen this offseason. That and, was interesting. And and how that has affected the way that you build a team and build a roster. Uh, I found that to be interesting. I also think that it was, um, you know, that it was just – it was. Interesting to hear him talk about the value that they place on safeties and tight ends yep. um, and the analytics behind that. So, again, thank you to him. Just just great insight from him. I hope listeners enjoy that. As always, you can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. Let us know what questions you have after listening to that interview, and we will be back with you next week. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.